welcome to Engineering Matters. I'm Bernadette Ballantyne, and in this episode, we're talking to Philip Hall, president of one of the UK's most successful and well-known engineering consultancies, Atkins. The firm was founded by William Atkins in 1938 and has over 18,000 employees around the world. A civil engineer, Philip Hall shares with us the projects that have shaped his career, the changes he's seen over the past three decades, as well as talking about the need to improve diversity in the industry. To make things even more interesting, we found the toughest possible interviewer to grill him on his engineering life story, his 16-year-old daughter, Chloe. Hi, I'm Chloe and I'm 16 years old. I'm really interested in a career in engineering because I find the work of an engineer fascinating. It amazes me how one job title can be so diverse. Engineering is such a massive part of our everyday lives, this being the buildings that we live and work in, the energy that powers our world, or the transport that we use every single day. I'm going to find out more about my dad's career and about what opportunities there are for people like me in this industry. Hello, I'm Philip Hoare and I'm the president of Atkins. Um, I'm also a very proud civil engineer and a proud dad of Chloe, so I'm looking forward to hearing your questions, Chloe. Dad, why did you become a civil engineer? I think, you know, I've always been interested, I think, really from a young age in terms of how things work and uh, and how to make things better. And I guess, you know, as I got a bit older, um, I had lots of different experiences that sort of helped me then think about the career that I would have. Um, you know, so my dad, your granddad, was in uh, the RAF and uh, he had an engineering role. And uh, that was really as part of aircraft design and uh, aircraft construction. I remember probably, you know, when I was four or five in the summer holidays, um, being able to go down to see him at work. And uh, things were quite different in those days. The rules were very different from some of the rules that we have now. And, uh, and I was able to, to run up and down inside of half-built aircraft and uh, really think about, you know, how things worked. I guess as I got older, I became more and more interested in that. And um, but it was probably only when um, you know I was at school and uh, and a teacher spoke to me actually about her husband who was a civil engineer. And um, and she said, look, if you're interested in engineering, why don't you have a chat to him? And really, that opened up a whole new world of possibilities for me in terms of really understanding some of what a civil engineer does. You know, so you said you know a moment ago about you know it's pretty fascinating what a small world small word like engineering can mean in terms of the diversity of things you get involved with and I think that was something that really excited me. So what was your very first job when you became an engineer? Well, so I, I guess I followed quite a traditional route in those days, which was really about, um, you know, going into university, doing A-levels, going to university, doing a degree in civil engineering. I mean, there are lots more routes open to people today and uh, in terms of getting into this industry. But for me, it was quite traditional. I, I went to university, I did a degree. But while I was there, I had the opportunity to work with a company and, uh, and I spent um, a year out working with an organisation who I then went back to when I first graduated. And my first project was um, a job called the A30 Honiton to Exeter. So, you know, this is a, a road scheme. It's a new road down in Devon, um, effectively providing better connectivity um, for holidaymakers actually on their way down to Devon or Cornwall in the summer. So, you know, I did, I guess what lots of people do early on in their career is get involved in small bits of projects, some design work, um, some colouring in, some uh, lots of other things that, um, that basically helped the project move forward. And, um, but, you know, as I, as I learned on that job and I worked on it for about 12 months, um, I gradually progressed into, into more complex areas of engineering, which, which was great. 
I'm really interested in the type of work that engineers do. Can you tell me a bit more about the projects that you've been involved in? Um, you know, I think I've been lucky enough to have been involved in some fantastic projects and uh, throughout my career. And so, you know, I guess ones that sort of spring to mind, one was you know, quite early on, actually, after I graduated was I spent some time in, uh, in Bangkok, about 12 months. Um, and I worked on a, a great project, which was a, a link road from the airport into the center of the city. So, you know, if you've ever been to Bangkok, actually, congestion is a huge issue. And, um, and you know, so this was all about trying to alleviate some of that congestion and speed up journeys from uh, to and from the airport. So on a day to day basis in Bangkok, what did you have to do? So I was one of the design engineers and um, and it was a really interesting project because um, and pretty unique, actually, because it was all about something called glued segmental construction. So so basically what we did was we built this elevated road, so a road on a, a series of columns and um, in the bits in between were almost like a jigsaw puzzle. So we're fitting together these concrete sections and every single one of them was unique. So uh, unique in shape, but every single one was built off a design that I had created. So. Uh, um, so it was really fascinating to see how this worked. And, you know, back in the mid 90s, all of the construction was prefabricated off site, which meant it was built somewhere else, transported in on a lorry overnight into the centre of the city and then um, assembled in the, in the middle of the city. And, um, and it's interesting to think that, you know, sort of, you know, 30 years ago, one of the first projects that I worked on, um, we're still talking about how we use that type of construction technique today. So, yeah, it's a really fascinating I never realised something like that would be so complex. How does that differ from your work in the UK? Well, you know, I don't think it differs, um, I mean, that much, really. I mean, I think, you know, a lot of the projects that we work on are, are really complex. You know, that's why we get into engineering, because we love to solve problems in the first place. And um, so, you know, I think there's a, there's a lot of similarity between an awful lot of the projects I've worked on. But, um, you know, just to pick out uh, a couple of others. So um, when I came back to the UK after the spell in um, Bangkok, I worked on a job called the Avonmouth Bridge um, Strengthening and Widening Project. So, so again, it was in the southwest of England. Um, if you've ever traveled down to Devon or Cornwall, you'll have passed over this um, massive steel bridge um, either side of the dockyards just outside of Bristol. And, um, and again, it was a really complex project because it was about taking something that had been built in the past that was... Uh, uh, unable to, to deal with the heavy traffic that we're now was now being experienced and we had to strengthen it we had to widen the road and um, and I was involved in all aspects of of that design but but actually there's something probably more about that job actually in terms of um, that was really about you know the teamwork and the collaboration and um, and actually what happens when something goes wrong and you know we had a, a terrible time on the project when one of the gantries that was uh, that sort of hanging beneath the deck of the bridge used to access all the different box girders that we were strengthening um, there was a, an, an incident on that and uh, two workers fell to their death and uh, you know, being on a project when, you know, people that you know, people that you've worked with are killed because of what they're doing at work, you know, has a really fundamental impact on you. And it's, it's certainly something that stayed with me throughout my career, the importance of, uh, of that health and safety aspect. Is engineering really that dangerous? I've never thought about it like that before. 
Um, well, I think, you know, it can be. And, uh, you know, I think that's the issue. I mean, things have improved a lot, I think, over the years, you know, in terms of, um, you know, our recognition of le as leaders, actually, of, of safety. You know, and if I think about my job today, um, you know, as president of the business, health and safety is foremost on my mind. You know, I want to be in a position where everybody that works for this organization gets to go home safe at the end of every day. And, um, and it's, a, it's a really key obligation for me and my leadership team. Um, but, you know, my advice is to you is that, you know, whatever, whatever you're doing, and, um, and let's face it, as someone who I know is prone to walk around on her mobile phone and, uh, and not necessarily being in the moment, you know, safety is all about being in the moment. And, uh, and anywhere is dangerous if you're not concentrating on what you're doing. So, um, so you know, that's the, the big takeaway for me is that, you know, whatever activity you're doing in any environment is be in the moment, be aware of, of what you're doing and the hazards around you. And you certainly can't do that if you're on your phone. Mm. So, you know, reflecting back on uh, the incident at Avonmouth Bridge, you know, it's not just about personal learning, it's also about what the industry takes from that. And I think, you know, it's incumbent on us that every time there is an incident, um, that we deal with it as an industry, that we learn from it, we improve and we, we do things better the next time around. But, you know, going back to your question about, you know, being dangerous every day, it is a really dangerous environment. In fact, you know, in early July of this year, um, you know, two workers were killed on the railway network. And, you know, that, again, has wide reaching ramifications, clearly for, for their families and for the people around them, but also for the industry. And we've got to continue to learn and to get better and uh, to improve what we do. I know that rail is really important to you, Dad. And I know that you love railways. What's been your favourite project? Well, I think, you know, one of the things I, I love about rail is that I think people really do underestimate the whole complexity and uh, an involvement that you can have in it from amazing stations and retail state retail spaces like King's Cross, for example, um, all the way through to um, Victorian viaducts that still carry trains today. Um, and things like, you know, the new innovative technology that's that's present in the sector. So, you know, in some cases nowadays it's more about you know being a software engineer and programming systems than it is about civil engineering but actually that that just shows the breadth and diversity of uh of you know of the rail sector in total so i guess i'm considered still quite a newbie in rail so about five years experience in fact um, i started in the rail sector just after your sister sylvia was born so that makes it just over five years ago or so um but i guess you know i've been fortunate in the fact that you know our work in atkins touches virtually every aspect of every rail project in the country you know so whether it's the sort of front end forward planning for new rail schemes so you know things like hs2 actually in terms of its original concept all the way through to you know improving some of the Victorian infrastructure that's out there and making it more fit for purpose today but it's not just in the UK actually you know so we're heavily involved in rail projects around the world so you know a couple that really spring to mind for me are things like Dubai Metro where um, we effectively designed and uh, and supported the construction of the whole of the Dubai, Dubai Metro which in itself is a great project um, the stations look amazing the concept of uh, you know an air-conditioned railway running around Dubai's infrastructure is incredible when you think about it 
But when I travel on it and when I look at it, it's one of those projects I'm always immensely proud of because there were some really deep-seated um, engineering challenges in terms of building that project, you know. So, you know, trying to keep things moving. Um, many of the railway lines uh, run parallel or above some of the roads in the city. Um, so to try and think about how we kept infrastructure moving whilst also building this sort of flagship new state-of-the-art train system on top was, was incredible. One of the really significant challenges about building this project, and bearing in mind the scope of it, you know, so 75 kilometres of, of new uh, railway alignments, 49 stations, you know, so a huge project in its own right. But actually one of the complexities was that some of the sections are underground and some of the sections are overground. So firstly, you've got that transition from underground to overground, which isn't easy when uh, um, you're thinking about how the train system will operate. But it was also one of the first times in the region that um, things have been built underground. And when you think about, you know, the complexities of working in that type of environment, not knowing the detail of the ground conditions, how well excavations could be supported, how tunneling equipment would work in that environment, it just adds to the types of things that we need to think about as engineers and the things that we absolutely have to get right to be able then to deliver the projects on time. How have you changed from working on massive projects like this to running this, this company? Well, I think of all of those things, um, you know, those changes are gradual. And, um, and I don't think, you know, when I started my career, I really, well, in fact, I know when I started my career, I didn't have a grand plan that said one day I want to be CEO of a global business. Um, you know, I started out by really loving the technical work that I worked on. And that's why I got into civil engineering in the first place. You know, that complexity, that variation, the fact that one minute you could be working on a project um, in Southeast Asia, next minute working on a project in the UK. Um, you know, so that so I started out by being really technically focused and uh, and trying to do the best designs that I could and to learn as much from the site experience that I had. But I think, you know, you quickly then think about um, getting into project management and running some of the jobs that you do. And effectively, I began to manage bigger and bigger teams. Um, I wanted new challenges. So, you know, I moved into various different sectors and, um, and learned skills in, in roads um, in particular to start off with and then more increasingly into railway. But actually, I was involved in huge multidisciplinary projects. So, you know, I was getting a really good insight into the importance of the ecology team for example, in terms of unlocking the next stage of a project. And so, you know, I think it, it, was, it was reasonably gradual. And then, you know, I became, came to the point where I was running a part of the business and then a bigger part of the business. And, and what's your day-to-day -day life like now? So my job, um, and actually there's, um, there's lots of, you know, famous management books that tell you about what the job of a CEO is. But one of the things that sticks in my mind is the thing about vision and glue. And um, so the vision is, um, where are we going as a company? Um, you know, how are we responding to the changing demands of our markets and our clients and building a really strong strategy for the business? And then the glue bit is all about how do you hold that together? How do you ensure that you create the right environment for people like you um, and, and others to, to really grow and prosper in their careers um, whilst obviously also delivering what the company needs us to deliver? So... So vision and glue, I think, are the two things that I do day to day. So when you leave the house at six o'clock in the morning, where do you go? What do you do? Okay, so um, 
so actually travel is a big part of my job as you know and um, mm-hmm. so you know some of that is when I'm here in the UK it's about getting around our offices and meeting people and meeting clients so you know some of our clients really want to, to see the face of the company and you know in many ways my job is a bit like being the ambassador you know I'm the uh, you know a very senior representative of the Atkins business and uh, and that's important to our clients you know that um, that actually we're putting the weight of the organization behind their projects or, or whatever they're doing um, and then I spend quite a bit of time traveling internationally so um, you know SNC Lavalin the parent company of Atkins is based in Montreal so clearly I've been spending quite a bit of time in Montreal as you know um, and then um, you know I run a, a, a global business that operates out of various different regions so some time in the US some time in um, the Middle East and in Asia Pacific but I guess, you know, from when I go into work, you know, what am I doing? I'm, you know, I'm, I'm helping ensure that our business is running smoothly. I'm providing um, support to people to enable them to do their jobs effectively. And I'm really thinking about what is the, the culture of our organization. And um, so I look at things like diversity and inclusion and, um, you know, the importance of being a great um, place to work for, for everybody. So, um, so, yeah, I guess it's a pretty varied role and that's why I love it so much. So thinking about the future for your company, what sort of projects do you think people like me would work on if we join the industry? I think a huge thing about our sector is is basically, you know, the impact that we have on society and on the environment around us and about our ability to influence that. So you might have heard of um, something about net zero recently, which is all about how um, you know the UK economy is driving to be carbon neutral by 2050. You know, as engineers, we can have a huge impact on that. You know, the way that we design things, the materials that we use um, and the way that, you know, we build projects to last for the future. You know, I think... I think that, you know, people of, of your age, you know, they want to do something that, you know, will have a, ha, is more than just going to work. It's about leaving a legacy. It's about doing something that will have an impact, positive impact on, a, on the lives of other people. And I think, you know, well, I hope that, you know, that's something that would inspire you and people like you to want to go into engineering in the first place. So I think, you know, what I've described so far, I guess, has got a couple of things to it, hasn't it? So the first is really, you know, engineering is all about solving complex problems. Um, But it's also much more than that, isn't it, in terms of the impact we have on the world around us and on the societies that that we live in. So I guess I'm, you know, I'm really interested. Is that the sort of thing that motivates you around engineering? Well, I love math and I love solving problems. And you know how much it gets on my nerves if I can't get the answer to something. So working on it, I try hard, I enjoy trying to work things out and I think that really appeals to me because I'm also really interested in helping people out and helping society, so mixing together the solving problems and helping people out, I just think it's something that I'm really interested in. It's just a bit hard for me really, being the only girl among my friendship group that is actually thinking about engineering as a career. Engineering UK says that only 12% of people working across engineering are female, Are you going to try and encourage more women and more young girls like me into engineering? 
Yeah, definitely. I mean, it's something actually that as an organisation we work incredibly hard at and um, and it starts out actually with people like you, you know, so um, so people join our business um, as graduates and uh, or as apprentices and um, and we really encourage people to, to stay connected actually with um, the world of education and with, you know, people perhaps from their school or their university that they can maintain that connection with. So um, I think you've heard of STEM, so science, technology, engineering and mathematics and um, and we're, you know, we really heavily support that as a business in the first instance. So, you know, we've got about a thousand STEM ambassadors across our business. And, um, and what that means is that we give, allow people to take some of their time they might spend in work to go back to a school or to get involved in a school. And, uh, and I'm sure you remember some of the times when I came into your school to talk to you about engineering and, uh, and some of the projects that, that we've been doing. So I guess that's that's one aspect of it. But um, but the second, I think, is more about, you know, being part of a big organization, being in the sort of role that I'm in. Um, you know, you've really got to try and use that position to try and influence as much as you possibly can. Um, and that can be everything from, you know, changing the way that the education system works to provide better recognition. Um, but it can also be about just trying to make engineering feel more attractive um, to people coming into the sector with new skills and, and ideas. So, you know, I think it's a quite a broad thing that we try to do. Um, I'm not sure it's always as effective as it could be, but I think it's one of those things you just got to keep on working at because, you know, it's crazy, isn't it, that, you know, you could be the only person in your friendship group that, um, you know, is interested in, in what is, I think, a, a very brilliant career. I just think it's because people don't have that much knowledge about it, really. And if it wasn't for you or only people that I know that want to go into engineering is because they either have family members or know of friends that are engineers. And if it wasn't for you, I wouldn't really know much about it. Like, I've always been interested in maths and physics, but when we went to that A-level open evening, it was two male teachers stood at the physics with two boy sit formers talking to me about physics. And if it wasn't for you telling me, come on, Chloe, you can do this... I probably wouldn't have approached them in the first place because the thought of me being the only girl in my physics class next year is quite a scary thought. And everybody looks at me as a bit of an alien as if to think, what are you doing doing physics at school? And I think that's something that engineers need to work on and something that your company could actually do more. So you've come into my school, but do you go into any other schools and talk to them about it? And... I think starting and creating an awareness from a younger age is really important because at my age now, people have a good idea of what they want to do. We're all 16. We've all made our A-level choices and perhaps people might make a really good engineer, but they haven't had the education about it to be able to even consider that as a choice for them. I mean, that's a good question. And, uh, you know, I think, I think, it is interesting about, you know, how we do change that perception. I mean, I think, you know, probably for the last 20 years, we've been talking about how do we make things different? How do we raise awareness? But we seem to be really struggling to to make that make that connectivity happen. So, you know, I guess perhaps we should ask more people like you about, you know, what we should be doing actually and how we change it. So, you know, that's a really good thought that I'll, I'll take away. But, um, you know, I think all we can do is, you know, is continue to promote things, to continue to, to talk about um, perhaps some of the softer factors that, you know, really make engineering great. Because, you know, yes, you do need to have some knowledge of, of science and physics and maths is important, but there are lots of other things that are important too. So, 
you know, things like collaboration and teamwork and actually how you get the best um, out of a particular team. And you only, can only do that if you've got diversity, you know. So if you haven't got that diversity of thought, it's very unlikely that you're going to get really the best solutions out from things. So so there's clearly a lot for us to do, isn't there? You know, and, uh, you know, if you are the only girl in your friendship group, which I, I know is a true statement, having spoken to some of your friends about it as well, then, um, then, then actually it shows that what we're doing now isn't quite good enough. So I've mentioned that as a business, we're working really, really hard to try and improve things. And I think some of that actually is about, you know, my leadership in the business, but the, the leadership in general really pushing hard on things. You know, so we've improved the number of graduates we take that are female. So I think you use the statistic about 12% in terms of the number of people in the population. Last year, 31% of our graduate intake were female. Um, we're also working really hard on the apprentice side as well. So people joining us after A-levels and um, our numbers of females in that group have risen to 26%. So, you know, we are getting some results and some of the hard work we're putting in is paying off. And um, But as you said, it's clear we've got to do a lot more. I know that you have got more women working at the company, but only half that number are considered in the high earners. How are you going to reassure me that I can get promoted and earn a good salary if I become an engineer? Actually, Chloe, one of the things I'm really, really proud of, actually, is I think the culture of our organisation where we are completely inclusive and treat everybody in exactly the same way. So that means that, you know, we have had to change, you know, some of the processes that we have in the business to ensure that um, we are completely fair in terms of the way that we award salary reviews or promote people in the organisation. And, um, and that's something that we look at really, really closely, both when people join our business, but also when we're going through things like annual pay reviews and that type of thing. I think something that's that's really been important too is our approach to flexible working. So um, again, this is something that again I'm passionate about. You know, I think that people come to do work to do a brilliant job, and um, but actually they need that to fit in carefully with their own lifestyle. I mean, you know how busy our family is, and uh, and all the things that go on in that. So so actually allowing people the space and the freedom to do the job they love and they want to do, but also to manage their family life, whatever their circumstances. Um, in the best way that suits them, I think is critically important. And so I think flexible working has been a really big way that we've changed things and, uh, and hopefully made the environment better for everyone. Actually, recently in the news, I've seen that High Speed 2 is under review. And I'm quite aware that this is one of the projects that you've been working on. I've heard you talking about it um, at home and in conversations and stuff. So what do you think of this project? Well, you're right. I'm glad you listen to me at home sometimes. So, um, I mean, I think the first thing is, is that, you know, High Speed 2 is a, is a, is a big project for, for Atkins. You know, we're part of something called the Engineering Delivery Partnership Team. And, um, and that means we've been working closely on the project from really, you know, the first thoughts about it, obviously, up until now. So, you know, it's a hugely significant project for this country, actually. And, um, you know, there's a lot of political noise about the project at the moment. Um, but actually, when you go back to the heart of it and what the project's all about, it's all about connectivity and transforming the economy of this country. So, you know, it's almost been, well, it has been, I think, misnamed as high-speed rail. And, uh, and people think about it from a journey time perspective. 
But actually what it's really about is providing much greater connectivity between the south and the north. Um, I'm not sure you're aware, but things about a north-south divide in terms of, you know, a stronger economy in the south of the country than in the north. And actually providing greater connectivity um, and allowing us to open up spaces for redevelopment and improving, um, you know, the number of trains, and the number of people that can move backwards and forwards between those regions is all aimed at helping to redress some of that economy. And uh, so, you know, it's hugely significant in that respect. But High Speed 2 is also a really significant project and a really fantastic new piece of infrastructure, which I think is really important for this country too. You know, we've not built many railways since Victorian times or since the beginning of the early 20th century. And, um, and it's incredibly important that, um, you know, we are seen as a, a nation, I think, that can deliver really big infrastructure. But not only that, it's going to create thousands and thousands of jobs for people. Um, everyone as apprentices who want to join um, rail to, you know, the vast myriad of supply chain that will be working on the project as it moves into the construction phase. So I think, you know, it's a really important project, you know, not just for the backbone of the economy, but, you know, in a post-Brexit world when there's a lot of uncertainty around creating a huge investment in the UK um, to help us prosper into the future. The thing that I heard on the news was uh, the head of HS2 was saying that it was going to cost more than was originally expected. This isn't the first time I've heard about this on an engineering project. So how can we keep costs on track so that people are actually going to value the investment that you've put into it? I think, you know, there are lots of reasons why construction projects are late um, or um, overrun from a cost perspective. And I think, you know, that's one of probably the biggest challenges that we have as an industry. Um, you know, I was reading a report recently um, by a company called McKinsey, and um, and they looked across the world at, thing, at something called productivity. So productivity is all about, you know, how effectively and efficiently are you working? And they looked at the UK construction sector, or they looked at the construction sector in general, and ranked that against lots of other industries. And, um, and construction was second to bottom on the list, and the only industry behind us was hunting and fishing. So, um, you know, so there's a long way to go in terms of, you know, how we improve efficiency in the sector. And, um, and that's something, again, that, you know, I think as an organisation like Atkins, we have to be right at the front of, you know, so how do we help um, improve um, the delivery of construction projects so that they are on time and do deliver the right um, value for money for our clients? So a huge opportunity in that space at the moment is all about digital engineering and how we use digital tools at our disposal um, to really help improve efficiency and, uh, and drive better performance from our construction projects. Well, me and my friends are digital every single day, most of the hours of the day, but construction has been slow to bring in digital technology compared to other engineering industries. How is this changing? Well, if only we could use uh, Snapchat for uh, engineering design, then uh, then you'd be brilliant at it. So, uh, but um, you know, I think I, I do think it's probably the single biggest opportunity that we have. You know, I think everyone joining our organisation now is uh, is much more tech savvy than perhaps the previous generation. And um, but you know, I think um, I do see when I look around the business some amazing examples of how people like you and uh, and people with a slightly different skill set joining our business are able to think really differently about how we solve problems. 
So one of the things we're working on a lot is around 3D models and about how we use 3D um, to design in, how we, you know, I've talked about collaboration and teamwork quite a lot because I think it's just so important that actually we bring teams together and, uh, and help them work on the design at the same time. So whether you're a contractor, the client, or someone in the design team, you're all working on the same 3D model and you can see how a change I make impacts um, a piece of work that you might do in the future. So we call this a digital twin and um, and you know what we're doing is trying to design everything so that you can see it and visualize it in 3D before you actually go to site and I think in doing this because because actually it's a lot cheaper to change design in the design phase once you start building something it costs a lot more money so actually being able to iterate in design and get it as right as we possibly can before we put that first spade in the ground is uh, is is something that's really important so so what I need is people like you and uh, coming in with ideas about how we use technology better to avoid some of the challenges that we currently have. So I guess after all that, um, what does that make you think about, you know, a career in engineering and has it changed your perspectives at all? I actually found that really interesting and the fact that obviously you're working every day of the week. We don't really get a chance to talk about what you actually do at work and I found out a lot more. I feel much more confident about talking as working as an engineer and if it comes up as a topic at school I'll definitely have much more to say about it now. When um, we're starting maths and physics as two out of my four A-levels next week it's really made me think about how I can use these subjects possibly in the future. I came here this morning no idea what to expect no idea what life was like in an office and it's actually really interesting how it's one office block but there's so much stuff going on in one place um I've actually really enjoyed the architecture and design um when I spent an hour there this morning I thought it was really interesting I had a look at the programs that they use and made me think yeah okay I'm not that great at drawing but looking into the technology and the future of that I think that's something that I'd really enjoy and have fun in doing and I think that's something we should do more so um you know getting that sort of short sharp taste of uh, of actually what it could be like um, because if it's helped you I guess it could help your friends and others if they spent some time in an organization like ours as well do you think so yeah I think having like an office open day or just something that's not necessarily structured or you're stuck to doing something just the chance to walk around in the open environment and watching people at their desks and just see asking questions about what you you're interested in rather than people sitting down and talking to you about what they do mm. yeah and no, that's definitely something we'll think about it's a good idea thank you Engineering Matters is a production of Reby Media, hosted by Bernadette Valentine, edited by John Young and fact-checked by Rian Owen. Rory Harris is the executive producer. Special thanks to Atkins and our guest interviewer, Chloe. If you like this podcast, please leave us a comment or review on your podcast app, which really helps others to hear about us. Or simply tell a friend to have a listen. Engineering Matters can be found on all podcast apps and on our website, engineeringmatters.reby.media Follow us on Twitter at Engineer Matters or find us on LinkedIn, Reddit or Facebook. If you'd like to work with us to tell stories about engineering that matters, contact Rian, R-H-I-A-N at rebymedia.com